I needed to develop as a human so that I could make sense of my very layered and complicated and unique life. And everyone needs to be able to make sense of their story, just like the Bible is full of stories. God didn't just give us a list of things to do. He gave us unique stories about people's lives, and then he reframes them, and he makes them about himself. Well, this should be an enjoyable and insightful and potentially side-splitting 30 minutes of your time, Joe Listener, because my friend, new author Jamie Nato is on Joe for the very first time. Welcome, Jamie Nato. Hello. Thank you for having me on. It is such a pleasure. I, here's what I want to know. As a funny person, because I set you up as that, I said, like, okay, you know, this is going to be She's funny. That's basically what I just said in your intro. Do you ever feel intimidated by the expectation of she's funny when you come on somewhere like you think, oh, okay, this is what I have to be. This is my role. Yeah, I don't mind. I like improv. I can, if you're a grumpy cat, I'm going to make you laugh. So I don't, (laughs) I don't doubt my hysterical abilities. NATO does. He's like, that wasn't funny. And I say to him, I waste my good material on you, sir. Wait, but so everyone I, knows NATO is your husband. You're like, your last name is NATO, but you actually call your husband NATO, which I, I find cute. I think that's cute, actually. Adorable. But that's how I met him. And then I couldn't make the transition. Like, I thought his name was NATO. And then his mother, we were going to his house and his mom opened the door and said, Mark. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> you have a, a name, a first name. <laughs> so now I can't stop. But yeah. I do feel like the expectation is that I'm not, I don't have something to say. Mm. You know, like she's just funny. She doesn't have anything real to say. Yeah. And yep. so that kind of cuts a little bit. You know, she's just funny. There's nothing really going on up there. And mm. I have a lot to say. You know, I mean, I wrote about it, I wrote a book, I write all the time. And I go very deep, but there's just that piece that's like, tell us a joke. And I'm like, I'm actually kind of sad today. (laughs) (laughs) I don't always want to be the like happy, go lucky person. Yes. No, I'm glad you said that because, and we'll talk about this more later, but you actually are a deep well. And I think that that is something that when someone is funny, when someone brings that to a room, There is sort of the expectation of please be funny all the time. And I find that a lot of people who are funny actually are very tender. They're insightful. They are thinkers. And so because they're thinking a lot, they find something humorous in ordinary things, which is, that's at least my favorite type of humor. I'm actually not a laugh out loud person. My kids say all the time, like, mom, you, you're unimpressable. That's what they say about me. You're <laughs> unimpressable. Like you can't, you're not very impressed by people's funny things. Like, and please don't send me reels that most people think are funny. Cause most of them, I won't think are funny, but yours, I actually think are funny because they're actually just kind of dumb, but I it's think stupid. dumb is funny. <laughs> it's so stupid. And you think why? I mean, some of your comments are like, why yeah. did you do this today? But I know I'm <laughs> Why? Why is actually a compliment when it comes from me? Why is that? Yes. That means I, no, think I know. I can hear yeah. your voice saying it. Yes. I mean, it's like when I go to Target. Target is your everyday experience, but no one's going to try on like, I don't understand the nude bathing suits. Like, I don't understand the skin colored leggings, skin colored leggings, leggings. Also, I just think 
how's that going to be at the pool when you shock everyone and they think there's a naked lady kind of just romping around out there. So I try it on, which is just a regular thing, but you would never be like, I'm going to try on that string bikini real quick. And I do. I mean, I wear it over nude leggings. (laughs) So you really get the full nasty effect. You get the full idea. I will say this is a conversation I've never had on Jesus over everything, but I have long wanted to just put out there to my sisters in Christ, let's avoid nude leggings. I think that would be the better move just in general in life and certainly nude bikinis. I'm on board with your ideas. I mean, if it matches your skin, I mean, I know we all don't have the same skin tones, but if it matches your skin tone, let's pray about our choices. Let's, Mm. let's ask God for wisdom. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, let's not pray about our choices. Let's just not make (laughs) those choices. I'm going to skip prayer on this one because I think prayer is not even needed here. Let's not waste those prayers. Let's actually put those prayers on some really important matters. And I think nude leggings are not one of them. I digress here. Were you always funny though? Were you were you always funny? Like, did you get in trouble in school for being funny? I got in trouble in school for talking a lot. Yeah. But I don't think I thought, oh, I'm so funny. I think I loved when I could make people laugh. Like mm. that was where I thought, ooh, that's a really good feeling. And so I would practice my improv on the playground and see what, what won and what failed. And kind of, I just like that feeling, you know, there's a lot to be sad about. The world is heavy and I still have that feeling. I still feel like, okay, how can I help my audience, mostly women feel just a little bit lighter, like a little bit lighter about what's going on. Yes. And I do think that we all need to laugh. And one of the things that, and I will say, I don't have trouble laughing. Like I, I really do enjoy levity. I do think sometimes we all though do need the permission to break into the thoughts, the carrying the heaviness of other people, all of the things that we have a lot of, you know, reason to hold grief about even and just laugh a little bit. Because right. it's it's really important and it's an important coping mechanism, by the way. It's also, you know, it's a gift that the Lord gave us. He gave us this like weird thing called laughter and a sense of humor. And I find it one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has given us, honestly, even to be able to like laugh at ourselves, is, yeah. which is what you constantly do, by the you way, which is to. super funny. Yeah, you have to. I mean, he made me this way, so he must be laughing. Did I make God laugh just now? Because he is ridiculous. Like if he made my mind like this, then he must be really a big weirdo. So <laughs> I, I relate to him in that creative aspect of like just joy. You don't even, it's not like you need joy to live, I guess, but, but you do sort of, I mean, it's a hug for your day. I just feel like laughter changes the whole day. Yeah, I agree. I know because you love the Lord so much and you are so grounded in your faith that I know when you say, but he's a weirdo. I know what you mean. And I know that you actually revere God so much. So it's not actually like, oh, I think he's a weirdo. It's what your meaning is. I know and recognize the creative genius that even in the laughter and all of that, that he has made us all so unique. So on your official bio, on your new book, that we're going to talk about in a minute, it says Jamie Nato is a blogger, Instagram influencer, and serial entrepreneur. She mentors thousands of leaders by running an essential oils business and a local coffee shop. And then it says later on, on that back cover sleeve, you're not to be trusted with my laundry or my house plants. 
So I would also add, since I do know you pretty well, any travel itineraries, you're also shouldn't be trusted with because I have traveled with you before. NATO handles that for you. How do you run an essential oils business that cannot be trusted with houseplants or the common everyday laundry? Tell me about it. I mean, you just have to like pick where you're good at things. And like the Lord did not give me the gift of laundry. Like he (laughs) chose (laughs) to not make me want to fold socks. So I just find I'm actually getting better at plants. I'm practicing there, but the laundry has not, I have not matured in that area. So I will await the Lord to sanctify me. But until then, (laughs) it's not happening. (laughs) So what you're saying is that, because I think sometimes, let me give you this example. Sometimes people will say to me, you say that you are an introvert, but you can get up and speak in front of 5,000 people. How can an introvert do that? And I say, it's a different skill set. I just need you to understand it's a different skill set because I am very much an introvert. But I also, when I get up to speak, that is a using a different gift. That is using a different part of myself. So you're saying I can run things. I can be a businesswoman, but that doesn't mean that I also am really great at keeping my travel schedule, for instance. No, I just, you recognize your gifts and your non-gifts. My non-gifts are math. You know, I should not be trusted with a budget. I should not be trusted to travel alone. I need like a Sherpa. I need a Sherpa, a traveling Sherpa, a laundry Sherpa, like anything (laughs) to help me. I just went to Mexico on a trip with a bunch of people and I got lost in the resort. It's hard Mm. to do, but I found a way to get lost every time I tried to go to like a different side of the resort. So I think this is going to bring women who want maybe want to run a business or something. I think that's going to bring them some comfort because one of the things that I think women believe is, well, if I I can't possibly run a business, I think that sounds great, but I can't really do that if I'm not good at math, at a budget. So are you great at delegation? Do you feel like you're great at knowing what you're not good at and then hiring people to do what you're not good at? Oh, for sure. I hire people to do what I can't put my energy towards or what I'm just not good at. And I wish people would do that more often. I know that that's like so privileged to like, oh, you have enough money to get a cleaner or you have enough money to hire that out. There was a time in my business where I did not have a lot of margin. I found margin. So I would spend my birthday money on a cleaner. Like, I know that's not fun, but I knew that I needed to spend my time writing or taking photos or whatever it was to help me grow in the area I needed to grow in. And at the time it was blogging. I mean, we, we were blogging and it was free. So we have all these free platforms and then we get in our own way and we second guess and we say, Oh, I'm not good at X, Y, or Z. So I'm just not going to do it. And I think we overcomplicate it and then we get in our own way and then we don't do it. And I would just say, doing it, maybe you're not the best at your craft yet, but doing it is better than doing nothing. Yeah. I do think what you said is really important, which is earmarking, budgeting, working towards getting someone to do something that you're not good at. Because for a long time, I didn't have the money to have an assistant. And I remember there is sort of this moment where you're realizing, okay, my needs in what I'm doing here are outgrowing me and I can't keep up with it, right? So I would have requests to speak and I was still trying to write. And I knew that I wasn't good at a lot of these details 
that I needed an assistant for. But the problem was I wasn't making enough money going out to speak or on books or whatever to hire someone. So I very much relate to the person who says, I just don't have the money to hire out all those things. I get it. In fact, I was doing the math. I don't think I had a an assistant until I was 45. Absolutely. That's a long time to do. And I was doing the work for at least, I'm going to say, 15 years before that. So in those cases, you do have to sort of do your best. Also, there are people that maybe you have in your life. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member that you can say, Will you do this for me to help me right now? Or, you know, maybe you can barter some kind of service that you can provide some mentorship or something in order to kind of do that. But all of those things to say, if you're not good at a certain thing, then that's okay. That doesn't mean you can't move forward. One of the things that you talk about a lot that I really respect is that women shouldn't be afraid to have the conversation about making money. Oh yeah, And that is a really, really big one. And I'm going to tell you where it is particularly big. It is particularly big in Christian circles <laughs> because there is a whole idea, Jamie, that if women talk about even making money, there's something that takes away from a call of God on your life or mm-hmm. you're not being spiritual about it. I think it's a combination of programming, perhaps like subtle programming, even from our growing up, misunderstanding biblical things, perhaps. What encouragement do you have for a woman who says, you know, I really need to help support my family. I really need to, you know, make money, but I, I just feel like that's in conflict with what God's called me to do. Yeah. Even if you don't need to make money and you want to make money. I thought it was bad in my kind of religious circle. It was very revered that you stay at home and that you are a really good wife and a good mom. And those are great things. Those are absolutely great things to be. But I kept finding myself having these adorable side hustles. So like have ambition, but make it cute. Mm -hmm. And I liked making money and I got to help my kids with their dance lessons and little extra things going on a vacation. And I felt bad about it. And I wondered why do I feel bad about making money? So, and I write about this. I went to God and said, why am I such a horrible person who loves selling things and loves to make money? And God reminded me of when I was about eight, eight to 10 years old and basically said, what were you doing when you were eight to 10? And I was pulling a wagon and Mm. selling rocks to my neighbors back to them. Maybe it was a little shady, but I curated those rocks. Okay. And I was taking that wagon because I wanted new kids on the block cards at the corner store. And I, we grew up very, very poor. So I didn't know how to get those. You, You don't ask your parents for money when you're poor. We were living on welfare and I had to come up with the money. So I sold these rocks. And by the end of the summer, I had enough money to get those new kids on the block cards. So I think it was funny that God was asking me, what were you doing when you were eight? Because it was such a pure time. Like no one was making me do anything really. And for enjoyment, I'm selling. Like some Mm -hmm. kids are playing school. Some kids are digging in the dirt, whatever it is. I was pulling a wagon around selling things. I love this so much. One of the reasons why I love this so much is because for a long time, 
I have thought that we don't regard enough the threads of our life that have always shown us signs of what we need to be doing. And one of the things that I thought, you know, when I had my kids, I thought I want to pay attention to sort of what signs they're giving me from an early age. And, you know, I I did this in one way with the obstacles I thought they would have. So just stick with me for a minute. I'm going somewhere with this. So one of the things when, when all of them, when they were really young, like two years old, three years old, they would start showing me signs of what I thought, okay, this is going to be their kind of chief issue in life. I think that I'm going to have to help them work through. And they each had a different one, but I saw it early and I thought, okay, so this is what I'm going to have to help them work through probably their whole life. And I'm telling you, Jamie, they're now grown. They all have continued throughout their life to have that has been their prevailing thing that they've had to deal with. And so we've worked on it their whole life. They'll probably still work on it their whole life, but I at least was paying attention. Right. But in the same vein, I remember I'm going to take my oldest, for example, he from a very early age showed signs that he was going to need to be a coach. Because every time he would explain something to someone, whether it be his his younger siblings or anyone, it would be very detailed. He would get kind of down and he would say, "Okay, now this is what you need to do. And he would show and I don't care whether it was a math problem because he was always really good at math or whether it was, you know, how to hold a ball or whatever. He took that role very seriously as his as the oldest. but he would get such joy when when they would actually hold the ball correctly or learn the math problem. And so as a result, we kind of put him in that coaching position a lot because we knew that that lit him up, right? So when it came time, when he was a senior in high school, when it came time to sort of like start going on a career path, right. we talked to him about, you know what we really see? We think you're going to do some kind of coaching because this is what we've been observing. And his brain, because he was a football player, immediately went to, well, I think I'm going to need to be a football. I guess a football coach is what I'll do. So we said, well, why don't you go shadow a football coach and see if that kind of is what you want to do? Well, he did that long story short, decided that's probably not what he wanted to do. But putting two and two together, he's really, really gifted in, in math. He loves being a coach. Now he's a financial planner. So he coaches people with their money. But what is so brilliant and what I love about what you brought up, even in your own story and then with this illustration, is that that is what you have done in helping other women in your new book, This Must Be the Place. What you use is what is a breadcrumb illustration. And you say, if you follow the breadcrumbs, you'll see. That's where you're probably going to end up. Right. right. I mean, you have to look back to look forward. And listen, I'll say, because we're such keyboard warriors now after COVID, we know a lot about other people's lives. Mm. We know a lot about anything on the news. We consume so much information, but what we're not good at is knowing ourselves. Because when it comes down to it, when it's time to kind of make a decision or move forward in some area. We, we are, we're feeling like a little confused. We're feeling timid. We don't know the next step. And I think if you really follow those breadcrumbs, just like looking back at the past, okay, what was I doing? And just this most pure time, what was I, how was I spending my time? 
that gave me a huge permission slip to keep selling, keep going forward, teach women how to sell because I believe money in the hands of good people do good things. And particularly women who are traditionally very philanthropic and they know the needs in their community. They have a pulse on things. They are the ones who, even when it comes to finances at home, they're saying money needs to go here. They are so influential. And so I became really passionate when I was leading my leaders to say, you guys, we need to be living so intentional and so on purpose. And the only way that we're going to be able to do that is to get to know ourselves a little bit better. Because if you have that permission slip, that's going to change your community. Like you don't need to be an influencer. You don't need to have a big following. You have someone right outside your front door who's watching you and you have influence over. And if you're living on purpose, people look at that and say, what must her God be like? And I think it's a testament to the gospel to live in the way that he made you and to stop trying to be like everybody else. Like I say, God is a weirdo. I mean that like, so it sounds irreverent. We're all a little bit of a weirdo, but he's just very creative and very unique. And he made us that way. So when you operate in your unique gifts and calls with your unique, you know, sufferings, I, I write about suffering too. It's not just like, what were you doing when you were eight? You know, my life fell apart when my marriage was falling apart. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of identity there. And even that unique suffering gives you a very distinct call, especially as far as your empathy and what your heart is bent towards. So that matters. That's where we're going to put our finances now because that impacted me or that's where we're going to put our treasure. That's where we're going to put our time. I think when you combine all those breadcrumbs and you look at this overhead view, you'll say, oh my goodness, this is not, my life is not an accident and none of this is a coincidence. And I just want to give women that permission slip. I think it's so beautiful. I really, really do. I, it's one of the reasons why I was so excited about it. And I believe in it strongly because it gives us not only such this different kind of purpose, but it also brings us the joy and the fulfillment. Here's what I wonder. Why do you think we don't see the threats? Why do you think that we're going along in our life, right? And because listen, There is not a person alive that doesn't want to know, (laughs) what am I doing? What's my purpose? All of these things. And I I realize that life is complicated. I realize there's nuance in this conversation. I realize that things happen in our relationships. We get derailed. All of the things that are at play, right? But why do you think we don't kind of get a clue at a certain point and say, you know what? I think this is kind of who I've always been in a way. I think it's easy to be distracted. Our world is loud. Like I don't have to tell anyone that for you to believe me, that Mm. you have a computer in your hands, all parts of your day that ping and alert you and distract you. And it's this powerful machine. And not only that, women, we can get lost in our children and our spouse in the things that are going on and forget about ourselves. And we all know the put your oxygen mask on first, but don't you know, if that ever happened in an airplane, that's going to be a real tough one for me to put my oxygen mask on first. Yeah. But it's so necessary. If you stay alive, the others stay alive, right? I think we're easily distractible. I think it is so much easier to scroll for six hours than to say, hey, could we revisit that suffering and see how God will bring good out of that. Can we reframe Mm. that a little bit? 
That's Mm -hmm. hard work. That's hard work. And as Christians, and I think we've had this conversation before, personal development is just such a bad word. No, go read your Bible and you're good, which I please read your Bible. But personally, I needed to develop as a human so that I could make sense of my very layered and complicated and unique life. And everyone needs to be able to make sense of their story, just like the Bible is full of stories. God didn't just give us a list of things to do. He gave us unique stories about people's lives, and then he reframes them and he makes them about himself. I think stories are so powerful and, and I want women to take up more space in that department. Mm. You know, women are really exhausted right now. Women, they're just, we're exhausted. How much of that exhaustion do you think is in doing a lot of things, but doing a lot of things without truly feeling purpose in them? (laughs) I mean, isn't that what we do? Someone asks you to do something and because you need their approval or you want to look impressive or you have a hard time saying no or whatever it is. I mean, we do things that we're not good at, not called to do that we don't have margin for. And we do them begrudgingly and then we're exhausted and we wonder why. And I'm not saying you don't have to ever do like hard, tedious things. I have plenty of those that I have to do too. But moving into a space of, am I really good at this? Or is someone else better at this? And am I taking unnecessary space up here? And saying, you know who would actually be really good for that is my friend Jesse or my friend Emily and bringing them into something that they are better at, more gifted at. I do a lot of that. And maybe it's, maybe it's my delegation. I like, I really love delegation, but I'm also, when I look at what I was doing as a child, when one of my business ventures went bad as a child, as in my cat would follow me everywhere. And I was watching my neighbor's birds And somehow I left the cage door open and my cat ate the bird. And then I had to (laughs) find a way to replace the bird. So this is my derailment and my new kids on the block cards was now I got to buy another bird for my neighbor. And how I did this was I got all the neighbor kids together and I said, listen, my cat accidentally ate this bird and I'm going to need you guys to help me plant seeds and we're going to pick these seeds and then we're going to go sell them to our neighbors. You know, I was just bringing people into the things that I was already doing and delegating basically. But I think about that all the time. You know, why do I find so much joy in finding the person who's good for this job and bringing them into something, you know, that I'm already doing and you don't need to be the main, the main stage all the time. You know, you don't need to be the one that's getting all the, the glory. So I, I like to delegate and I think women could do better. We could be a lot more, I don't know, joyful and have a lot more energy if we just kind of said, you know, that's not for me or, you know, who'd be better at that? Her. Yes. That is the truest of the true, Jamie, because I can tell you one of my favorite things. And I think age has brought this to me a little bit. You get really picky about what you're willing to leave the house for when you get older. Also, you're also an introvert has less problems saying no, I will say that when it involves travel. But one of the great joys of my life in this season is saying, you know what, I've got a great person that you can call for that. And it is not me. But all joking aside, I do think I don't care what your personality is. I do think one of the most powerful things that you can begin to say is 
I am actually not the best person for that job. There is someone else who's really great at it because you kind of drop the need to be good at everything. I mean, I am a very competitive person by nature. I also love achieving. I'm not a person that cares about achieving so that other people will think I'm an achiever. I I actually like to achieve against myself. So I'm a real like self-motivated person. And I just enjoy checking things off the list, accomplishing things like that is really that kind of fills me up. And so it's been very freeing for me to realize the places that I really thrive and the places that I really don't thrive. Because when you operate in places that you don't thrive for a long time or for any period of time, it feels really deflating when you're not good at them. It's like, you know, you're constantly trying to play kickball in the playground and you constantly are failing at kickball and you realize I'm a terrible kickball player. So you can tell that's a little wounding from my childhood, can't you? Um, Don't pick me (laughs) for kickball. I was always the last one to be picked. No, I would have been last with you and probably would have been your best friend because of that, because I would have felt such camaraderie and not playing kickball very well. Listen, I married one of you. I married an achiever. So he loves the list. He loves checking stuff off. I, I'm a more free spirit and creative. And sometimes I'll bring an idea or 17 to him. And he says, can you just pick like your favorite one? Like maybe we'll pick one. <laughs> and we'll focus on that one. Like, Here's oh. the thing. I'm a combination of you and him though. And he and I achieve for different motives because remember not to get into the Enneagram. So I'll get some mail over that. But yeah, he achieves because he, for a different motive. I, I we had just have that difference there, but also I'm also a creative. So I'm a, yeah. I'm a really weird. I don't know what I am. I'm a, I'm a hybrid that can't be explained, I guess, because I have to pick between all the creative ventures I want to do too. So I relate to you as well. Those budgets are annoying. Budgets are annoying. I agree with you on that. So if a woman was to say, you know, I feel sort of lost right now. I just kind of feel lost. What's something that you would do besides getting the book? This must be the place because boy, that would be a great place to start. I'll tell you that. What's something that you would even say practically right now? Because they don't have it in their hands yet. To say, here's something you could start to do even right now. If you're feeling lost, you're listening to the show, you really kind of want to get on board with what we're talking about. What's something they could do? I think doing the work of seeing where God has moved in your life. And a lot of that is going back and remembering where you have seen him. And sometimes that's not fun to do because you're going to bump into those places of suffering. You're going to bump into those places that are a little bit uncomfortable. But I will say those places where you felt the most uncomfortable are the places where you probably either had an opportunity to grow the most or shrink the most. Mm -hmm. And so leaning into those places and saying, where was that? And what was God doing there? I mean, that those are things The look at the big things in your life. And then we go back and we remember those things. And I am a seven Enneagram if you want to get into that, but I am really good at reframing. And Mm -hmm. what I try to help women do is say, okay, God does say, I'm not trying to say, don't be sad or life is unicorns and roses, but I am trying to say is God does say he will work everything out for the good of those who love him. He does say that. He does say count it all joy. So I do want you to reframe those places where you feel like those are lost. That was just suffering. Maybe go back and take a look at that and see the gifts that they have been in your life. I mean, I know that 
because my marriage fell apart, I can just zone in on someone who says they're doing okay and they are not doing okay. And Mm. I know their life is kind of falling apart. And so I'm the one who's like, you know what? I'm bringing dinner over tonight. I accidentally made double. So at five o'clock, it's going to be on your doorstep. I get real bossy with serving those who are having just a really hard time in life. So it, it really informs just kind of the unique way that I live. And I think, I think women could do that too. I think that's just one little thing that you could do. It's actually really big is go back and kind of reframe some of that suffering. Yeah, no, that's so, so good. I love that. I actually love the perspective of a seven Enneagram. I really do. I live with one. So he's great at reframing. Sometimes I'm like, can we live in reality? Because that reframing is actually not reality. But I think it's really important. Those perspectives are so important in the world as well. Because a lot of things that we go through, especially, you know, I was saying this the other day on social media, and I believe this with all my heart, you know, when you get a little distance from things, Jamie, you do do begin to go, you know what, maybe that thing that I thought was actually the worst thing in the world was not actually the worst. I kind of had that moment because there was something that we went through in ministry years ago and someone that really hurt us and particularly had hurt my husband. And now my husband's a really forgiving person, but it was interesting because I was scrolling social media and I saw that my husband had wished this person blessing on something that they were doing in a a new endeavor. And my first thought was, wow, (laughs) he's a really, he's a bigger person than I am because that was, I know what he, this other person had put him through. But then I thought to myself, you know what, if we saw him today, if he wanted to go to dinner, we probably would. Because at the end of the day, it's not that that trauma didn't happen, or I don't even want to call it a trauma because I, I want to honor real trauma. It was it was a really hard situation. It was something that was unfair. But I think distance has even helped us see a little bit of perspective. And you can even call that reframing a little bit. It was, it was something that was that changed us for the better in many ways, and then also was hard. So, but yeah. Yeah. I say your stop sign is your catapult. You know, for me, my stop sign was, okay, my marriage is now failing. I'm not an A plus Christian. I look really stupid. I look foolish for loving this man. Right. And I just thought my whole world is going to fall apart. And really God used that to catapult my influence. And when I started writing about it, catapult our ministry, catapult the people we helped, he really expanded. So like what the enemy was going to use for evil, God used for good. And that was literally my catapult. And my temptation was to be quiet about it. My temptation Mm. was to guard my ego and to play it cool and to look like nothing was bad happening in my life and to be silent about it. And once I spoke up about it, the doors opened. I could help so much more people through writing, through selling, through all these things. And God used it. That was my catapult. Yeah, so good. Well, this book is great. I loved it so much. I love you. You're amazing. This must be the place is the name you have to go get it. All right. I have one last question. I ask it of every single guest. This is called the Jesus over everything show. So it is a question about Jesus. And I know you love Jesus, which I love you so much because you are a funny person, but you are a person of depth and you do love the Lord so much. Jamie, what is the last thing you'd say about Jesus? If you could only say one more thing, 
God is not mad at you. Like if you just feel like you keep doing the same thing, you're annoyed with yourself that you just can't get out of something or, you know, you think that parable where Jesus is excited to see the son, the parable of the lost son, you know, the dad is so excited to see the son and he throws a party for him. And you think not, not for me because mine is too bad. Mm. I'm too messed up. I want you to know that God's not angry with you. He's not a punishing God. He is not mad at you. And in fact, when he sees you turning around for the 800th time, he mm. throws you a party to come home. So well said. Beautiful. Thank you for being on the show, my friend. And uh, here's to no more nude bathing suits, <laughs> no more nude leggings, Lord and, our prayers. Uh, and much more laughter as it is good medicine for the soul. True. Love you. Thank you for having me. God knows your private temptations. God knows the financial worries you have. God knows the quiet mental health battles you face, but don't feel you can talk about it. God knows how much you feel like you're failing right now. Being a mother, a wife, a leader of a church. God knows how hard it is for you to make safe friendships when you've been hurt. God knows how the criticism has taken its toll. He knows how much you love Him, but how much you don't know how much He truly loves you. If any of these statements resonate with you, grab a copy of my latest book, God Knows, out now wherever books are sold. Link is in the show notes.